0: Well, good morning, friends. My name is Pastor Michael. I'm so excited to be with you this morning. How are we going, 10 a.m. service? Guys, there's like three times the amount at the 8 a.m. service. And they're like, you know, it was definitely... How are we going, 10 a.m. service? Great, it's a little bit better. For those of you who don't know me, my, I'm Michael. I'm one of the pastors across the New Life family of churches. We have about three churches, part of that family at the moment. One at Cooling Koolingatta, one at Rabina. And this afternoon I'll be preaching up at our 4 p.m. at Brisbane service as well. And it's an honor to be here today. I love coming down to Uh, Partly because there's just this vibe to Coolie. This is your first Sunday at Coolie, second Sunday or third Sunday. You'll have known what I mean. It's like just peaceful at New Life Koolingatta, isn't it? It's like, it feels like there's just a relaxation where there's just, you know, uh, there's not a sense of pressure here. And, and whenever I come to Cooley, I recognize that that's not just because the beach is here. It's not just because Scott's a good looking pastor, although that's helpful. Oh, someone laughed, Scott. Did you hear that? So I'm like, yeah, all right. And it was Georgie. That's the weird thing, your wife. Anyway, you guys see me afterwards. There's this... Um, it's a sense, actually, this place is about a presence. And that presence is the presence of Jesus. Here in, here at New Life, we don't believe that peace is a feeling. We believe it's a person, as it says in the book of Ephesians. And I'll let you know today I'm here to talk all about Jesus. If you came thinking we'd talk about something else, you're going to be sorely disappointed because Jesus is a, is a passion topic for myself, for Scott, for all the team here. Why? Because Jesus changed our life. And our hope, and my hope today is that you would leave this place knowing that you can know Him, you can encounter Him, and He is here for you today. Amen? Why don't we pray? Gracious God, I thank you so much for the honor it is to bring your word. I pray, Lord, may you fill me with life and joy as I get to deliver the truth of the gospel. May we all lean in, not to Michael's voice, but to your Holy Spirit's whisper. God, right now, may distractions decrease and may our attention increase as you begin or even continue to speak as you already have. We thank you for what this means. We pray for the food truck broken down. We pray that it would be okay and that it might just get here in time. In Jesus' name, we pray. Less of me, more of you. Amen. Amen. Friends, I want to start with a question. I got him up on stage first, so it's not going to do that. But if you had to go and tell someone, if you, tomorrow, let's say you walk up at work to your family gathering and you had an opportunity to tell someone all about who Pastor Scott is, how would you describe Pastor Scott? Right Now, if you were only allowed to use two words, if you were going to know Scott is blank and blank, what would you say to, wow, wow. Also still not Georgie saying good looking. That's okay. All right. We'll, we'll get there. Always to turn to the person next to you. How would you describe Scott? Now, if you're new today, you're like, I don't even know him. You've heard him talk. You could say beard and weird. That would be fine. So the person next to you, how would you describe Scott using two words, real fast? How would you describe Scott using two words, real fast? Great. What did you come up with? What did you come up with? Kai, Bill, what did you guys come up with? Cool and friendly. So good. Can I tell you what Georgie still came up with? Dad bod. It's like she had an opportunity to redeem the narrative of today's sermon. Dad, boy, did anyone else come up with something better than Dad, boy? Down here. Great, great wisdom. Gray wisdom. Yes, gray wisdom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I love is that someone's going to be tuning into the podcast this week, and they'll be like, I want to say something. In the first service, we had bearded saints. I just came up with good guy. Good guy. I was boring or whatever. Why do I say this? Well, today's whole sermon is about Scott's dad bod, actually. No, not at all. No, you don't have a dad bod, Scott. Don't get insecure. Don't get insecure. The whole idea is this. It's actually quite difficult to describe Scott using two words. In fact, it would be difficult to describe anyone using two words. Why? Because when you choose two words, you're invariably leaving out all other options. If you choose bearded saints, you're not saying grey wisdom. If you're saying something like good-looking, then you're not saying faithful father. You've chosen something over something else. And the reason why I say that is because if you walked up to anyone and tried to encapsulate Scott in two words, you'd probably fail. None None of those suggestions accurately portray Scott. So let me give you this challenge. If you had to describe God using two words, what would you say? God is and... What would it be? Now remember, whatever you choose disqualifies something else. This is a difficult task, isn't it? Because God is infinitely complex. God is infinitely wonderful. God is greater than we could possibly conceive or imagine. But here's what I love today. In this series, the writer of 1 John aims to take a chance at this. He says, let me use two words to tell you all of my understanding of God. Not to reduce him down to two words, but two words describe him so beautifully. In the book of 1 John, he says this beautiful line. He first of all gives the quality that we're going to go back to Chantel, that God is first. First of all, light. God is light. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, he writes this This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him is no darkness at all. When working through how to describe God, the first word that John says is: if you want to know who God is, then know who what light is. That is God. The second word when using to describe God in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, this writer in the Bible says, Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is Love, light, friends, and love. Do you know the God of light and love? Now, when you hear God described in that way, it sounds like you know, fluffy and, and you know, so nice and nebulous. It's like God is a nice and kind person. It's like the, these these topics don't seem to be that meaty, and it's because we've lost the depth of them in our common vernacular. But actually, friends, for God to be light and for God to be love are actually two qualities that threaten and indeed should transform the very nature of our existence, the very way we operate. Friends, I wonder if you know why it's important to know God as light and why it's important to know God as love. For if God is Light, then he cannot have anything to do with darkness. If God is love, then there is no hate in him. These are powerful declarations of one John. And he writes this book, which is the book of One John to his believers in the city of Ephesus, trying to paint a picture for them and for us today of a God who can be seen, of a God who can be known, of a God who is real. So for the next five weeks, we're going to step into the book of One John, a book written by a man known John, as the, known as just as John the Elder, to a city to a city where there is a whole bunch of different house churches, and the purpose of it was this: he was saying this great answer to an ultimate question: Can you know God? And he says, Yes, you can. Friends, do you know God today? Not about him. Do you know Him? That's the invitation. The whole book of 1 John offers us to transform all the relationships in our world. He says if you come to know the God of light and love, it will transform your relationship with God. If you come to know the God of light and love, it will transform your relationship with sin. If you come to know the God of light and love, it will transform your relationship with everyone around you. See, friends, there is actually a way that we can know if we know God. One of the things that this whole book that we're about to step into is seeking to focus is to answer this question. How do you know if someone is a follower of Jesus? How do you know if someone's legitimately a follower of Jesus? Is it because they wear WWJD bracelets? Is it because they rock up in church on Sunday? When I was a young adult, it's because I had a job at, um, at Zarafas. Everyone, when I was young, worked at Zarafas. If you're a young adult, it might be that you like coffee. How do you know someone is a follower of Jesus? A really a follower of Jesus. And how do you know when someone's a counterfeit? See, when you go to the markets and you, and you walk into like Carrara markets or you're overseas in, in the middle of Asia and you go to these markets, what you'll invariably find is counterfeits of, of products. You go in and you'll find a, a pair of Nike Air Maxes. Now, you know when you walk into Carrara markets and you see a pair of Nike Air Maxes and they cost $5 that you're probably thinking to yourself, this is not the real thing. But when you pick them up, you know there'll be something about those Nike Air Maxes that scream made in Carrara. Right? And not in China or wherever else they make Nike Air Maxes. There'll be like, you know, something will be a bit off, the logo, there'll be a punctuation point, the material won't be as good. Why you can just you can just tell after a while when something's a counterfeit. The problem is, is I think that in Christianity we've become too good at faking what it means to follow Jesus. That not 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 enough we do we know the difference between someone that's a follower of Christ and not a follower of Christ, but Christ, but but John comes and says, actually, you can know. Some of you here today are not yet Christians, or maybe you were a Christian and the church hurt you and you've left it, and, or you're re-exploring faith and here you are at New Life Cooling Gather on this Sunday, on Sunday the 1st of May. And I've come to tell you, friends, that there is a way to know if someone's actually following Jesus. That's what the book of 1 John is all about. Some of you here are followers of Christ, and you've claimed to be following him for a while now, but this is going to offer us a stark picture of what it actually means for you to be a real follower of Jesus. Why? Because the world is filled with counterfeits. The world is filled with fakes. The world is filled with people who say one thing with their lips, lips and then they go and deny Christ by their lifestyle. And the book of 1 John is an, is an invitation into real Christianity. Because friends, if you're a Christian in the room, there are those in this room right now who've been hurt by Christians. They've been hurt by the church. They've been hurt by people. And they're wondering, is New York any different? And the heart of what we should testify is like, yes, here is a real faith. It's the faith of the people who follow God of light and love. And we are a people of light and love. I hope you're excited for this series. This is the only sermon I'll have to preach to you. So if you hate this one, come next week. Scott's preaching. It's a lot better. You get to look at that good-looking dad bod face for the whole week. Sorry, man. Scott's like doing push-ups after the service. He could beat me up. All right. What we're going to talk about today is, is not necessarily light and love. The start of the book of 1 John. The start of the book of 1 John, four verses are like a beautiful introduction where, where John comes along and goes, actually, you know what? Before we even get to the topics of light and love, I can tell you what it means to be someone who's actually a follower of Jesus. You know someone's actually a follower of Jesus because in them, you will see these two characteristics on the next screen. This person will be someone that puts, has placed their trust in the person of Jesus Christ. And this is made evident because you see in their life, they've fellowship with others and they've fellowship with God. Friends, I want to let you know today that in the very first four verses, here is the reasons why John says you want to know if someone's legit, then these are two qualities that everyone that is a follower of Jesus exudes from their life. They've placed their trust in Jesus and they have fellowship with others and with God. Friends, would that be something that someone would say about you? Is that something you would like people to be able to say about you? Because that is what is on offer today. John jumps in. In, John chapter, in 1 John chapter 1 verse 1, he writes this. How do we know someone's placed their trust in Jesus? How do we know their fellowship with the others? He says this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, writes John, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Now, if you've read the Gospel of John, who is the same, they think the same writer as one John, and you just read that, you'll know that John is really good at writing long, confusing sentences that don't always make a lot of sense. Be like, there is something deeper having at play here. So if you're sitting there going, what did Michael just read? Welcome to the club. We're going to unpack that together. When we're reading the Bible, the first thing we've got to understand is that this is a book of history. It was not written to you. It was written for you. Big difference. The Bible is a book of history. All that is contained in here is many, many books, a collection of books, of histories, of poems, of prophecies, of stories written over, thousands of years collected to narrate the story of God to the people of God throughout time. So if you open and read this book like you would open and read Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings or a John Gusham novel, you will be bored and you will go straight to sleep because it is not the same thing. This is a historical document that we as Christians believe is the inspired word of God for the people of God. And if you don't start with this as a book of history, you forget this was actually written in ancient Greek. You're reading translated text right now. Of course, it's going to be a little bit difficult to a 21st century person that comes from Kulangada. What do you call someone from Kulangada? Kulangadian? Kuli. Kulangadian's better. Let's go with that one. Kulangaddian. That's not going to catch on. So what is happening here? What is happening here is Paul is testifying that he has seen something. Now, back in COVID, back in 2020, I saw something stupendous. Back when we were in lockdown, all of New Life, our staff team, we went online, we were working from home. Remember when we all worked from home for three months? Now, it's, you know, everyone takes their own seven days once they got COVID to go work from home. And, but back, there was a moment when it was all of us. And at that moment, we were all working really hard as part of our New Life staff team. Everyone but Scott was working really hard. I don't know if you remember this, but Scott took that opportunity not to work hard as a pastor, but to practice his trick shot. Does anyone remember Scott's trick shots from COVID? Or just his family. Yeah, right. That makes a lot of sense. Dad, can we play? No, practicing my trick shot. Go away. There's this moment where Scott would put these videos on Facebook. He'd be walking past the toaster, and he'd just flick the toaster up into the air like this, and he'd walk out of the room, and the toaster would fall into the toaster. I'm like, the toaster would fall into the toaster. The toast would fall into the toaster. I'm like, what? That's amazing. It was phenomenal. And then there was a moment when he'd like walk in, I can't remember, I'm just remembering how, he'd be brushing his teeth and he'd spit the toothbrush out and then he would just like land exactly where he needed to land and sink. One moment, he was doing a wheelie on a mountain bike and he's riding down the street and he just spins his ball up into the air and it lands into the hoop and all of his son's like, yeah, and Scott runs off. Now in this moment, you might be like, I've seen Scott. Scott's really uncoordinated. I don't believe you, Michael. And to that, I would say, I have seen. I have heard, I have testified that Scott is an expert. What, is, what am I saying here? I witnessed something that you can't tell me it didn't happen. Why? Because Scott sucks at CGI and special effects. And number two, I know he practiced a long and hard time for each one of those trick shots. They're still on Facebook, right? Yeah, go check him out after the service. You've got nothing better to do. Why is this important? I'm telling you something stupendous that has happened and if you say to me, I don't believe you, I can go, well, you weren't there. I was, I saw it. It was phenomenal. What John is doing at the very beginning of this book is he's writing to these people in Ephesus and he's saying, let me tell you of something I saw. Let me tell you of something I heard. Let me tell you of something I touched. And you cannot tell me it didn't happen because I was there. He's giving us a personal testimony. He's reminding the Ephesians that what he's about to talk about is not a nice idea, I hope you believe me, but a historical fact that transpired in a place and in a time and with the people. What is that historical fact? He says, I've seen, I've heard, I've touched what? The word of life. That's a really weird thing. You might be like, well, what is the word of life? And actually, most commentators ask that question when, when analyzing this text. They go, well, what is, what's this guy John talking about when he's saying the word of life? Is he talking about a message from God? Is he talking about a messenger from God? What is the word of life? Is it, is it the idea of you know, the message of Christianity? Is that what John has touched and seen and heard? Oh, actually, no, well, God, what John is actually saying here is that he has touched and seen and heard not just a message, not just a messenger, but both those things wound up in one person. If you were to tell someone you love them, how would you tell them? Back when I was young, sometimes we would write letters. And when you'd write this love letter and you would say, I love you, and you would pass it or you would post it, and that person would receive this letter with a message of your intent of love and affection. What's another way that you might tell someone that you love? You might give them a gift. You might give them a ring. Or if you're not ready for that stage in your relationship yet, you might give them a flower. Some young couples are nudging each other like, hey, let's get engaged. Don't do it. That's not what God is saying right now in this moment. How would you tell someone that you love them? You might give them a message. You might give them a gift. But the other way you might tell someone you love them, if I was going to tell Scott I loved him, I wouldn't write him a letter. I wouldn't give him a gift. I'd go look him in the eye and say, Scott, I love you. It's okay about the dad bod, bro. (laughs) What what is that moment? Why? I've personified both the message and the gift by coming as a person and saying, I'm not going to send something on my behalf. I'm going to come and look you in the eye. What John is saying, the word of life, was not just the message of God. It wasn't just the messenger of God. It was God himself carrying the message as the messenger in the person of Jesus Christ. The word of life, friends, wasn't a letter. It was a person. And we know that his name was Jesus. What John is saying here is, I've seen, I've heard this man named Jesus and he changed everything. Has he changed everything for you? What do you believe about Jesus? Have you seen? Have you heard? Have you touched? See, I actually believe today that every person in this room can know that Jesus is more than an idea. Every person in this room can know that Jesus is more than just a notion, a religious fanciful fact to make us feel warm late at night when we're cold and lonely and depressed, that Jesus is a real person. And he's here today for you. Do you know that? How do we know that? Well, actually, what John is saying is he has a testimony that is actually recordings of the fact that Jesus existed. Maybe you're here today and you're a Christian, but you don't know how we know Jesus existed. Maybe you're here today and you've got questions about faith and you're like, yeah, but there's so much. Like, how can we know for a fact that Jesus was real? And and the truth is, friends, there are two main ways that we can know that. Because of written sources and documents that point to his existence. And secondly, because you can encounter him. Let me talk about the first one real fast. When John says, I've seen, and I've heard, and I've touched, and they could have turned around and said, yes, but you were hallucinating, John. Like It's all nice that you have a testimony about that. How do I know that you can test that Scott is good at trick shots? How do I know that you can test that Scott can get a, a basketball in a hoop while doing a wheelie? I don't think that's actually a thing, was it? You weren't doing a wheelie. Don't look at that one. He just shot the ball in the hoop like any normal human being can. right? How do I know that you can do, know that? Why? Because there's a record of it it happened. You can go to Facebook right now and you can actually look up those videos and you can see how Scott chose to pay, spend the time during COVID instead of working doing trick shots. (laughs) I should stop joking around that. your elders are going to be like, hey, should we talk to Scott about this? No, he's a good guy. What what am I saying is, how do we know Jesus exists? Because they're a historical record that are trusted and that are known. Not only are they Christian records, they're actually non-Christian records. And maybe friends, you don't know this, that all serious non-Christian and Christian historians agree that Jesus existed. I'm a student of history, went to University of Queensland to study it. No serious historian, regardless of what they believe about the Christian faith, would actually suggest that Jesus was was an idea of fiction. Because you have non Christian people who attest to eyewitness accounts of his existence and his life. You have uh, Greek and Roman authors, Pliny the Younger and Pliny the Elder. You have Tacitus. You even have Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, who Jesus threatened his very way and faith. But he too attests that Jesus actually roamed the earth. So for you to say today that Jesus never existed or was not real is actually to go against the very thing that we can trust about the past around things that happened. Science and history point to the fact that Jesus was a person who existed. But on top of that, we also have historical accounts of eyewitness people who became his followers that attest to Jesus. We have the four gospels. We then have these testimonies of people like Paul and of people like John who say, Jesus, actually, I, t- I saw him. I touched him. I heard him. You might be sitting and going, yes, well, Michael, clearly that's okay, but Christians probably wrote history, and I'm not sure we can actually agree. So not only do we have non-Christians who have written that Jesus existed, but Christians as well. How do we trust those who have come to believe in him? Most historians would actually say that historical accounts of of the Gospels can be trusted and tested, even those who don't believe in Jesus. A guy named John Dixon, who does believe in Jesus, who recounts this as a historian. He says, it is true. He writes. It is true that historians take the Christian agenda into account when they analyze the New Testament writings, just as they do the biases in Tacitus and Josephus, two historical writers. But it is not the case that historians place Christian writings in a special category called religion or myth or fiction. After centuries of scrutiny, serious historians have been unable to raise evidential proof that the Gospels don't provide historical proof of Jesus, of Christ. Historians do see the Gospels as valuable historical texts. Friends, to say that the Bible is not a valuable historical document is actually to go against the very people who do this for a living. That there is proof that what the Bible attests to may and should be taken to serious account. A guy named F.F. Bruce, another historian, theologian, says this, the evidence for our New Testament writings is ever so much greater than the evidence for many writings of classical authors. The authenticity of which no one dreams of questioning. And if the New Testament were a collection of secular writings, their authenticity would genuinely be regarded as beyond all doubt. Friends, the historical Jesus matters. He matters because sometimes we can start to think that, that religion is nothing more. It's like what, Marx, what Karl Marx said, that it's just the opiate of the masses and something we created to keep us warm late at night. But actually, history says, no, it's something different. That Jesus wasn't a nice idea we created so we could feel good about ourselves and our sin. That Jesus was someone who walked, who existed, who people saw, who people touched, and who people heard. Which begs a question, we must all, either this side or the next side of eternity, make a decision, who do you say Jesus is? Jesus turns to his disciples in Matthew chapter 16 and he says this, who do you say that I am? It's one of the most important questions everyone will have to answer either now or before the throne. And you can't avoid it. Wipe him away and say he was nothing more than a lunatic or a liar or call him Lord. But friends, all of us will be required to have an answer one day. What is your answer? So if history begs us to wrestle well with the person of Jesus, how then can we know? Do we just rely, well, John seems to have said he was real. John seems to have said he was who he said he was. So we'll just trust John. And I actually don't think that's enough. It's not just enough for history to tell me something happened. I think Christ knows that too. And the beauty of the Christian faith is it's not just that we're crossing our fingers and saying, well, it seems to be in history. I hope it's real. No, there are actually people in this room today who would join John. They were not there at the cross. They were not there 2,000 years ago, but there are people in this room today right now that would say, I have seen, I have heard, I have touched the word of life, Jesus and he is real. See friends, what John is actually saying here, he's not actually talking about history. he's giving you his personal testimony. He's saying this: Jesus changed me. So I write to you of someone that I know, of someone that is real. Why is John saying this? Because there's a problem in the church in Ephesus. There's this problem where, where what ends up happening in the church in Ephesus is this group of Christians uh, start to think, well, we don't actually know if we want to believe in this Jesus guy. Maybe he wasn't the son of God. And so they go, you know, Jesus, you're not the son of God. And, and actually, we're not even sure that you had anything really to do with God. Maybe you were just human and you, you became divine because you worked on yourself hard enough. And so these Christians start to follow this way of something called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism literally just means secret knowledge. And, and, and it's this idea that, that they said, well, if we want to know what truth is, what we're going to do is we're going to go and we're going to look into ourselves. And if I can find truth in me, then maybe I have divinity in me and maybe I hold truth. And so I'll work out what is true for me. And so these group of Christians start to walk away and go, maybe God's not who we said he was. Maybe Jesus isn't who he said he was. Maybe I can find out what the truth is and I'm actually divine. And what John is writing is he's trying to say to these people, you don't get to decide who Jesus is because you became uncomfortable with his reality. Why is this important for us today? Because friends, Gnosticism is not something that happened 2,000 years ago. It's actually the, the foundation of New Age spirituality. New Age spirituality says this, hey, what do you need to be true? What do you, what, what do you need to be comfortable no, 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 don't worry about religion and dogma and institutions. They all suck, right? you got to go away and go for a surf and find out what, what are you experiencing in that moment. What divinity of you, that's true for you. What's true for you is, whoop, that's a step. What's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. And the, and the problem with this is, is that, that no reasonable, logical person would, would actually wrestle with truth that way. Truth is truth. If we went outside today and I told you that it's sunny and really hot, you would point at the clouds and say, no, it's not, Michael. Not, hey, what's true for you is true for you, brother. (laughs) Why? Because truth is truth. Now, do we all have a monopoly on truth? No. We can discover truth, but we can't change truth. We can discover truth, but we can't change truth. And the problem with what they were doing with Jesus back here in Ephesus is still the problem of what we do with Jesus. We make him our own personal buddy. We're like, well, this is who I think Jesus is, and Jesus loves me, and Jesus does this for me, and and, oh, no, 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 Jesus is... No, Jesus, Jesus doesn't talk to me about my sin. That's not what my Jesus would talk to me about. Oh, no, my God isn't the God of the Old Testament. My God's just the God of the New Testament. That just doesn't make sense. Even more importantly, if God and Jesus actually exist... If I came to you today and I said, Pastor Ash, who leads you on creative platform today, I'm like, man, I love how Pastor Ash is one of the best rappers going around. Amen. Like, I love when she drops those beats and like starts to lay down the lyrics. How cool is that? In fact, Ash, why don't you come up wherever you are? Well, yeah, come up now and you know, lose yourself in the moment. And like you could do that. Now, some of you would be like, that's gonna go terribly, Michael. And I'm like, no, but that's who my ash is. My ash is a rapper. And you're like, but Ash isn't a rapper. I'm like, well, that's your ash. At some point, we would both come up with the reality that Ash sucks at rap. No, 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 Hey, hang on, Ash, do you wanna be good at rap? She said no, she said no, right? She's amazing as a worship leader and a mother and a leader and a woman of God and a pastor, but she never wanted, so I would come up and be like, hey, Ash, rap, and she'd be like, I don't rap. Now, at some point, I have to come against the reality of who Ash is, and no matter who I've decided her to be, who she is is who she is. Friends, you don't get to decide who God is. You get to discover who God is. And this is so important for us in our modern days, what John's coming up against. He's like, you don't get to create your own personal buddy, Jesus, that makes you feel good late at night. He either is who he is or just forget about him. Friends, do you know who Jesus is? Because here's what I know. Here's what I know. When I read the Bible, when I read the Gospels, these are just words on a page until... The Holy Spirit comes and makes them alive. And the Jesus that I read about in the Gospels, the Holy Spirit I hear promised to me in John 3, 14, 15, 16, and 17, I experience and I encounter. Because Jesus is not just a historical fact. He's an eternal reality. And friends, I've got to tell you this today. You don't get to decide the God you want to encounter. You encounter God and you discover who that God is. And the reason why the scriptures are so important is they are our baseline of understanding God's character, intention, and purpose. We don't get to go and look into our heart and be like, who's Jesus to me? No, no, no. This is who Jesus is. Do you know him today? Never before has there been a time in more important that we realize that Christianity was never meant to be an individualized faith. It was always a communal faith. We came together and we reminded each other of truth. Why? Because this Jesus was not just a human. This Jesus was God and humanity, fully God and fully human. And the, the Gnostics back then, they said that that wasn't important. And friends, I've got to tell you this the God, that Jesus had to be fully God. If Jesus was not fully God, then he cannot save you. If Jesus was not fully human, then he could not fully understand you. This is why it says in Hebrews that we do not have a high priest who is unable to relate to our our sufferings, our trials, and our temptations, but Jesus is our great high priest who stepped into our suffering. He knows. He was fully human. He knows what it's like to be tempted by sin and to turn away from it. He knows what it's like to suffer. He stepped fully into it, but he lived the perfect life you could not live and died the death that you should have died. Why? Because he's not just a historical fact. He's an eternal reality, and he's offering you life today. Have you encountered him? If you said to me, Michael, How do you know I would tell you about this time when I was 21 years old and I sat in the back of New Life, you were being a church at the 7.30 a.m. Old People's Service. And I'd come from a night where I'd done dark things in dark places and I was not a man that I wanted to be. And I sat in that church deeply ashamed of every part of my being. And in that moment, I tasted, I saw, I heard, and I touched the living and incarnate Christ as he encountered me. An old lady as I was weeping at the reality of God came over and held my hands. Her name's Dorothy Matheson. She said, Michael, do you know that God loves you? Not because he has to, because you're lovable. God is love and it shattered me. You can look me in the eye and give me all the proof you want that Jesus is not real, but I have seen him, friends. I have heard him and I know him. Do you, have you encountered the living and incarnate presence of God today? Nothing else will sustain you on this journey. It's not about head knowledge, but heart knowledge. And why? Because that heart knowledge takes us somewhere. That heart knowledge leads us somewhere. It leads us into a fellowship unlike any other fellowship we've ever experienced before. How do you know someone's a Christian? They've placed their trust in a Jesus that they've encountered and experienced, and they now have fellowship with others and with God. I'm not saying community. I'm talking about fellowship. Fellowship. In 1 John, chapter 1, verse 3, John goes on. Why is this important? Why is he proclaiming to us? Why is he saying, do you know Jesus? Do you know this person I proclaim and I've seen and I've heard? He says this, we proclaim to you what we've seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Why do we preach about Jesus so often here at New Life and Gator? It's not because we've run out of topics. It's not because we don't know anything else to talk about. It's because it's the only thing to talk about. Why? Because when we preach Jesus, here's what's on offer. You get offered an invitation into a fellowship unlike any other fellowship, not just community. Community is where we're all just hanging out. Fellowship, in the Greek, the word actually is koinonia, and it means divine participation. It means commonly a shared commonality where you are welcomed into a family where what unites you is stronger than anything which could disqualify you or, or, or disunify you. In community, it's so hard to get offended. In Christian fellowship, friends, we look over a fence all the time as we walk towards each other in grace. Why? Because we have something greater that unifies us. His name is Jesus. Maybe, friends, you yet to believe in Jesus Christ here. Can I say you belong here with us? You're a non-Christian and you're like, I don't really like you. You spit and talk too loud. That's fine. You are so welcome here. Thank you for coming. Next week's preacher is way better than me. Come back again. But here's, here's the thing. There's, there's another layer of community here that's called fellowship. And it's, it's made open to those who go, I put my trust in Jesus. Some people are like, oh, there's not an in and out club. No, 100% there isn't because the invitation is open to everybody. Michael, you don't know what I've done. Here's the beauty about the fellowship of the Christian faith is that it's meant to confuse people as to who makes it into fellowship with us because they wouldn't have made it in if not for Christ. You should look around at New Life Cooling Gather and be like, why am I in church with these people? Some of them are flipping weird, right? Someone you actually start looking around and being like, that's you. <laughs> can I tell you about me and Scott? Scott's one of my closest mates, love Scott. But if Scott and I weren't Christians, can I tell you who Scott and I would be? Scott was the guy that would have beaten me up in school, right, fair call, fair, fair call. call. <laughs> why, Scott surfs, Scott's a handyman, Scott's like amazing. Whenever I've got like an issue with plumbing or tiling, I'm like, "Scott, can you come in my hand?" He's like, "Yeah, I'm there." Scott's like the guy that you want in a zombie apocalypse. Scott's phenomenal, right? And I'm me. And there's just like this like difference between us, where it's like we talk about it all the time. We're like, man, we wouldn't, we probably wouldn't get along that well. You're an ex warfie you know. You know a lot more words in the vocabulary than I do. Like, like uh, we just probably. But there's this thing when Scott and I get together, man. We have such love between us. I don't surf. I don't do mountain biking. My wife's not an Amazonian princess. that could, like, they could beat everybody up. Like That's not my story, that's their story. But here's what I know, when Scott and I get together, when I get together, Scott and Georgie, we talk about Jesus and we cry. Scott and I have prayed together, we walk together, not because we have shared common interests in anything other than Jesus Christ and he is one of my closest brothers and it should confuse the world why someone with that kind of a beard hangs out with someone they can't even grow on. Why? Because we're part of the kingdom of God. That's why in this church there should be drug addicts and then the very police who put them in jail the night before. There should be people in this church who are, who are swindling and on the stock market maybe they done greedy and dark deeds but they've come to know Jesus and the very people who they swindled in the same church and they've come to know the forgiveness and love of Jesus Christ. There should be people here who would never be caught dead in a friendship community together but because of Jesus now they're the bestest for friends and closest of brothers and sisters. Why? Because of the one they call Lord. Friends, that's what canonia means. That's what fellowship means. The, in, the, the Christian faith is not an individual faith. Some people are like, well, I'm just walking my own journey with Jesus. If you're doing that, you're not walking with Jesus. Jesus doesn't call you into community by yourself. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that. Say, hey, come follow me all by yourself. It says, come. We are now a body of Christ, a family of believers. What does this mean? It means that this phenomenon in Christianity lately, where people like, I attend church, like regular attendance is one in every six weeks. You cannot be a follower of Christ and not be in regular attendance with God's people. Why? Not because we feel guilty, not because we have to, and not because that's what makes us a Christian, but because we desire fellowship with one another. You don't want to know why? Because when you're struggling and when you're falling short and you walk up and you're like, I don't even know if God's real anymore. Someone comes alongside you and says, hey, let me remind you of the testimony I've heard come out of your mouth how God is real. You've seen him. You've touched him. You've heard him. He is your, he is your friend. He is your father. He is walking with you. That's what fellowship does. Don't give up on it, friends. How do you know where a Christian is marked? Because they put their trust in Jesus Christ and secondly, because they're found in fellowship with other believers but more than that, they're found in fellowship with God. The reason why Scott and I hang out together, and he might look at me sometimes, I look at him sometimes, me and, no, just, we're very different people. But it's actually, we want our relationship to be scandalous. It needs to not make sense. Because it points to a greater relationship that doesn't make sense. The fellowship we get to share with God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Before eternity, God, the God had, had existed in Quinonia community divine participation in a perichaelic dance together as the Godhead loves one another. And what it happens in Jesus Christ is they open up a seat at the table and they say, we want you to be a part of our family. And you're like, God, I, don't, I, don't, I, I shouldn't be a part of your family. That should be the accurate response of those people who know how sinful we are. I don't deserve this. And God goes, I know. Isn't it awesome? Come know my love come know my goodness. Come know my grace for you. Come sit at the table and have common fellowship with the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. Why? Because that's what grace does. Yeah. This community here at New York Kulingata should be a sacred symbol that points towards the community we experience with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It should be scandalous. When people rock up and go, do you know the kind of people that go to your church? You go, yeah, it's the exact kind of people that get to be a part of the kingdom of God. It's me. And he finishes with this line and he says, why do I say these things to you? So that our joy may be full. This whole letter is a pastoral letter. This is gonna be a moment for Scott and the team here to sit with you and tell you about what's gonna make them really joyful. Can I tell you what it is? It's gonna be that every single person who calls me off Klingadah, Counters the living Jesus Christ. And experience a scandalous grace community here where they can call it home. That's what's going to make our joy complete. The reason why the team here, Scott and Georgie, where they planted this church, was not because they didn't have anything better to do. It's because they knew there were people that needed to know that there's a place in the family for them. So friends, my hope for you in this series is that you might come to know the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who is a God of light and a God of love and that you might come have fellowship with him and with us and then our joy might be complete as we become pilgrims journeying our way home together. Maybe you're here today and you're wondering, Michael, I've never encountered Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you've forgotten your testimony. Maybe you're here today and you've forgotten the scandal of grace you're called to be a part of. And today is a moment where, where, number one, I believe God wants to encounter you for the first time. Well, number two, for those of you in the room who are Christians, God wants to remind you of your testimony. So great after the first service, had had this lady come up to me and say, Mark, when you said testimony, God started to remind me of all the times he'd spoken to me. Of that time he saved me from drowning. Of that time he reached out. And he called out my name when I was in my worst moments. Just like, I have a testimony, Michael. I'm like, yeah, you do. You've seen, you've heard. And some of you in this room need to be reminded of your testimony today. Because when you go into a conversation out in the world about Jesus, what you need is not facts. What you need is not knowledge. What you need is your story. If you don't have a story today, I want to remind you how the story comes about. I want to remind you of a moment when Two gentlemen, after Jesus died and resurrected, and they didn't know he was there, they tasted, they touched, they saw, and they heard him. These two disciples at the end of the book of Luke are walking towards this road, on, on the road to Emmaus, and they're in despair. These two disciples had been following Jesus, and the last thing that they heard, saw from him, was his death on the cross, and they're in despair because they're going, we thought he was God, but he was clearly just a man. He died, and they were, they were racked with grief. They'd, they'd put all their hopes in Jesus, and he had failed them. And in that moment, the resurrected Christ comes up and just starts walking alongside them. And they don't don't realize it's Him. Just like many of you don't realize that Christ has been journeying with you for a while now. He's been whispering your name, He's been walking with you, hearing your doubts, your griefs, and your hurts and your pains. And He says to them, What are you guys talking about? Like, Where have you been, traveler? They say, How have you not known that Jesus? Jesus from Nazareth was killed just the other day. This is horrible news. We thought he was the one. Can you imagine rocking up next to someone and they're not even recognizing you? And then they start telling you that you're dead and you're not even real. And you're like, what would Jesus? What would you have done? I would have grabbed them and be like, look at me. Here I am. Whoa. That's not what Jesus does. He doesn't go, hey, touch that hole there. Pretty cool. No, instead he goes, oh, have you forgotten? Let me take you back to the scriptures. Do you not remember that actually he had to die? And he walks them from the start all the way to where they were, through the prophets, through the laws, through the teachings. And he starts to unpack it for them. And he says, no, no, she, Jesus Jesus was God. And, he, and he's actually explaining, talking about himself, his own testimony. And they're starting to realize. And they get so excited by this guy that they just met on the road. And they're like, why does he have holes in his hands? And they want to weird it out. by like, hey, come have food with us. So Jesus comes in. And merely days after he instituted this meal called communion, Jesus opens up this, this meal with these two disciples. And in a moment, he takes bread and he breaks it. And they see him. And they realize it's Christ. Why? Because this thing that we're about to do is not just a nice ritual. No, it's because it's a holy meal. In the night that before Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and with his disciples, he broke it. He said, whenever you break bread together, do it in remembrance that you saw, you heard, you were there. Do it in remembrance of me. I wonder if in that moment when he broke the bread with his two disciples, if those words came flooding back and they're like... And he takes a cup and he holds it out to them. He said, Whenever you drink this cup, you remember that my blood was spilt for you. Scott said in the first service, you'll say it again later, but in the book of Revelation, it's this beautiful moment where it says, The saints overcome by the power of their testimony and the blood of the Lamb. Remember the joy of your salvation, that you have been saved, you have been redeemed, you have been restored. And what we do right now when we eat of this bread and we drink of this cup is that we remember what we have forgotten. But for some of us today, we remember for the first time. And I believe right now that just as at that table, they saw Jesus and encountered him again. There are some people in this room that in this moment, you are going to have a fresh encounter with Christ because he's been calling your name and walking with you for too long. And he's saying, it's time. Come, no fellowship with me. So friends, would you stand across this room now? And just hold on this cup. Let me pray for you, Jesus. I, I I don't. Before we rip, Jesus, I don't. I don't want us to be a community of counterfeit Christians. I don't want us to be a community where where we know how to look like the real thing, but we're fake imitations. But God, we can't do that without, without having encountered you, without having known you, without having remembering the testimony for which you gave your life to give us our story. So God, I pray right now for everyone in this room who is yet to know you, who has walked away from you, who is far from you. Jesus, right now you call their name and say, come and know me. I offer you forgiveness and the repentance of your sins. Come and ask for forgiveness and I will cleanse you and wash you clean. Come, touch, see, and hear by the power of my Holy Spirit that I am real. If that's you in this moment and you want to receive that, just stretch out your hands just in front of you. I pray for all those of us who are followers of Jesus right now who, who say, Lord, I've forgotten I've forgotten my testimony. I've forgotten who I am. I've forgotten who you are. I've made you comfortable. I've domesticated Jesus. I've made you my personal buddy, not my Lord and my Savior and my friend. If you're saying right now, God, return to me the joy of my testimony, the joy of my salvation, that I might know fellowship with you and fellowship with others, would you just stretch out your hands in front of you right now? And so, Lord, we ask Would we encounter you today, We humble ourselves. We don't come before the table lightly, but we ask that you would forgive us of our sins, that you would wash us clean, that you would call us back and remember us into the family and communion with God, into the koinonia. We are carried to a table and we are seated at a place that we don't belong, except by your death and resurrection. Now we get to call it home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In a moment, we like to call a holy ripping. Would you rip back the first layer with me? Mm. Friends, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Take and eat together. say this every time I share communion what we're about to do is really weird drinking symbol, symbol of someone else's blood if you're new to church today and you're like you're right it's it's bizarre and let me tell you it is weird unless it's true because what we're about to drink is a symbol of something which saves us which cleanses us which makes us whole you've overcome by the power of your testimony and the blood of the lamb take and drink The blood that was shed for you on the cross of Calvary. Let's drink together. And So Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you, Father, that we can know, we can can touch, we can see, we can hear. I pray that even right now as we sing this next song, No Other Name, that we would know truly there is no other name under which we can be saved. There is no other name that deserves glory, praise, and honor. As we sing, Holy Spirit, encounter us in this place. May we know you. You are here and present. May we become aware of your presence. That we would be a people who have a powerful testimony and a powerful community and fellowship to offer a world in need. I pray these things in your name. As we sit in this moment, we're going to sing a song we've never sung before, called No Other Name. And you know what? It's the declaration of the truth that is not optional for the Christian. That there is no other name by which we must be saved. But boy, it's a good truth to declare. Friends, Would you, if you want to get wild today, and close your eyes, close your eyes. If you truly want to get wild, raise your hands. It's okay. This is a uniting church. We don't know if we're Baptist, Presbyterian, or Pentecostal. But here's what I say. What would it look like for you to offer your life as a surrendered sacrifice in this moment of worship to Christ? Let's worship together.